Hello, and welcome to episode 30 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer stewart Before I get to today's guest, a warm welcome to Rebecca T., Beth M., and Rudy B. to The Modern Manager community. To learn more about the benefits of joining, stay tuned at the end of this episode. Today's guest is Isaac Tolpin. Isaac is one of the founders of Convior, the number one microlearning platform for learner engagement. He's a tech entrepreneur and a futurist at heart, and he's on a mission to enable brands to align their training with human behavior, leading to breakthrough learner engagement. His success comes from understanding the relationship between human behavior, business, and technology. Isaac and I talk about building culture, the importance of how you use language as a leader, effective meetings, and investing in your team members. We cover a lot of ground. Now here's my conversation with Isaac. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Isaac, thank you so much for being here today. I actually want to start by letting you know that I am in the middle of a 20-day challenge using Conveyor. So that was just like a nice, happy surprise. Oh, that's great. Great to be here, Mamie. And I didn't know that. Yeah, I just finished a course. By the time this airs, it'll have been a little while ago, but it's on personality and preferences using Myers-Briggs. And to help us better integrate the learnings, we have a 20-day challenge that we're doing where we get a little text message with a little activity to do and a question and a video to watch and the whole thing. And it's just been such a wonderful way to kind of keep the learnings going. So thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. So you've had a lot of experience leading teams, and I'm curious about how you see the role of a manager in terms of helping your direct reports grow, because that's kind of part of the business you've been in is helping people learn and grow. So what do you see as the role of managers in helping people learn and grow? Oh, it's such an important question. I think that it's really important to create a learning culture, and the number one way to do that is be okay with letting your people go from the beginning. I know that sounds strange, but what I've experienced is that when you have people reporting to you their best interests in mind, you actually know about their dreams and aspirations and you're leading them towards those, even if eventually those are outside of your business. And I think that screams authenticity, care, and great leadership. And in today's world, people aren't retained by money and benefits and so forth, those have to be there. But really, what differentiates and retains people is leadership and feeling like somebody cares about their path in the future, even if it's beyond the company. I feel like that's so like the opposite of how most of us think, right? Most of us think about growing our team members in terms of what do we need to learn in order to do the job well, as opposed to where is this person heading in life and in their career and then their journey and how can we help them grow in whatever ways make sense for them? Am I hearing you correctly? And that's what you're saying? Oh, it's so right. Because just remember, I mean, if you want to micromanage people, then only care about their job and what they're doing today and tomorrow and the next day. But if you want people that are intrinsically motivated and don't need micromanaging, but you can lead them with your influence, then you need to set it up and be more of a dream manager. There's a great book by Matthew Kelly called Dream Manager, which talks all about this. But I implemented this in past and I saw just an explosion of motivation 
and self-discipline and people making all the right actions when no one was looking. That's amazing. Can you give us an example or a story of, of how that came to life, kind of one of the people that you saw really flourish? Yeah, absolutely. Peter Voog's a guy. I, I remember we were in the business Cutco a long time ago, and I was managing two states, leading two states. He was one of my district executives, I guess we called them back then. And we were in a leadership development meeting with 150 leaders in the organization, a lot of newer up and coming leaders and our seasoned leaders, which Peter was one of the most seasoned. And I remember standing in front of them and saying, hey, as an example of the point I just made, hey, Peter, when it's time for you to write your book and change the world beyond our business, we're going to fan your flames and applaud you for that. Because really the goal is, is that we're helping you either make progress here or outside of here, whichever matches your dreams. And sure enough, Peter Voog, V-O-O-G-D, if you look him up, he's changing the world in his own sphere. It's great. Oh, so beautiful. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about learning and micro learning and gamification and some of these terms that have been kind of thrown out now as the hot ways of getting people to learn. And I'm curious about to you what those different words mean or any other kinds of terminology related to learning right now and how you might apply them if you're not using technology to do those things. So a learning culture, I believe, is the catalyst to overall culture, achieving the core values of a company and really creating the right overall culture. Because think about anybody listening here, when are you the most motivated and feeling on purpose and like you have a clear path? It's when you're doing your job, but also learning how to do your job even better, getting recognized for it, and there's energy towards a bigger path for you. And so really, if you think about it, when are you the most energized? It's when we're focusing on improving in the direction that we desire to improve. And I think that is just a huge thing. And as far as learning, unfortunately, most companies get it completely wrong. They're putting people in stodgy LMS systems. They are you know, having live training, uh, which is good. I believe in live training. But what percentage of behaviors changed from a speech? Unfortunately, no matter how great a speech is or a training is, most of that is left in the training room and people go back to their normal behavior. So to really create change, take something more like just-in-time learning, creating a rhythm of learning that never ends. See, culture can't be created by events. Culture is created by a never-ending positive pressure on the right levers of the business. So let's make this real for a second, because one of the things that I work with teams on is around their meeting practices. And it's constantly a challenge because meetings are something that we go to mostly every day. And there's a lot of behaviors that are really entrenched in a company around their meeting culture, even just with a single team around their meeting culture. So how might I bring this to life if I want to transform how my team works and thinking about learning those new practices, learning new ways of creating agendas, new ways of note-taking, new ways of preparing and following through on meetings? Yeah, I heard this funny. I remember opening comments to a meeting where I was creating these kinds of changes in the past. And I would joke that we're going back to the cram. And, uh, and what I mean by that is there's a power in actually using a pencil or a pen on actual paper, for example, versus devices. I think that meetings need to eliminate, certain meetings need to eliminate electronics as much as possible. Some meetings, you can't avoid that. 
if you need the electronics in the room, then you have to have a strict obedience to only having a Word document open or Google Doc open to take notes during the meeting or to leverage the technology to put something up on the screen that's relevant or whatever. But it has to be 100% involved because we're in a distracted world. I mean, you know, we're so addicted to our phones. How many times do you run meetings and somebody looks at their phone or something like that? And I just think you need undivided attention. I mean, it takes 17 minutes for someone to get back to the same level of focus as they were in before they got distracted. So you're, you're not capturing people in a meeting. Also, I think less meetings. Less meetings is crucial. I remember back when I had an organization, we were doing very well at 5 million in annual revenue. And I cut the meetings by probably 33%. And it was one, <laughs> and it was during a season where we surged to 11 million when the economy was crashing. And I ran the least amount of meetings out of anybody else, uh, 40 others doing the same thing I was doing across the country. And we grew. And I think that there's a power in that. What one thing it does is every time you run a meeting, you make it amazing. And we can define amazing for sure, but you really invest a lot into that meeting versus having lots of meeting where there's little investment and people feel like they're wasting their time. I never want somebody feeling like they're wasting their time. And so there's a lot that goes into meetings just pre, during, and after to make them super effective. So how did you manage to run your business with a third less meetings? And like, what did you replace them with? Or kind of what are some of the ways that you approached knowing when to have a meeting and when not to? You know, you look at the calendar and you look at it holistically and you go, okay, here's our events where we're together, if that's the case. Here's our conference calls. Here's our whatever else, Zoom calls, whatever else we're doing, in-person meetings. And you look at all that and you want to have the right rhythm. You have to ask yourself, why are all these meetings here? Is it because I don't trust my people? Or is every meeting there to actually empower, bond, and catalyze everything we're doing together? And I think that if we really have a gut check, sometimes we're running lots of meetings to herd the sheep. And if that's true, there's other leadership problems that exist. And so you need to become the kind of leader that doesn't need so many meetings. And there's a way to influence. There's like on a conference call, for example, let's say geographically, you're not all together. That's the case for some people listening. And conference calls, you can bring new life to them with Zoom, right? Or something like Zoom, where you can actually see each other. But how you prepare and how you make statements about your events is crucial. I remember completely revolutionizing the conference call. For example, I said, even though we're geographically not present, I 100% expect us to come together as if we were in person. And we're going to look each other in the eyes and we're going to run a meeting together. We're going to be 100% present. So whatever you have to do to cut distractions around you, plan this time. This is a meeting. This is not a conference call. So the, the words we use around meetings is important too and the attention people bring to them. And then I would do things during the meeting, the virtual meeting, that would force people to have to pay attention. Like sporadically, just like I was around a board table, I would call on someone to ask their opinion. And in the beginning, they wouldn't know and they would be distracted or secretly looking at their phone or something like that. But as I did a few of these in the new way, it got to a point where, wow, that was a legit meeting. And you know what? As a leader, you've got to come prepared with your opening comments. Your opening comments are crucial and your closing comments are crucial 
And you know what? People often say, I see this popular today, is that people really can't be motivated. You have to like create a structure for motivation and all this stuff that I think is kind of garbage. You actually, your words are powerful. And I think leaders underestimate the power of their words. And if we just spent some time crafting them for our opening and closes, it makes a world of difference. So this kind of segues nicely into this idea that you as the leader need to role model the culture and the behaviors that you want. And so if you have to be really thoughtful about how you're approaching meetings and how you're preparing and what you're going to say, what are some of the other ways or what did you mean when I was reading about some of your articles and things around leadership and culture kind of comes from within you? Oh, I love that. I mean, well, well, first of all, you can't create what you don't have. So, and that's not bad news, actually. It's just that it identifies where you need to grow. If you're not living out the elements of the culture that you want to drive, the problem here is you will establish them, you will speak to them in the beginning, and you will never stay the course. That's the problem. It's that it's very, very hard to stay the course driving a culture forward. And so you have to embody those elements. I'll give you an example. We were geographically spread out over uh, two states, 32 locations, the most spread out of any organization at the time. And I really wanted us to be a close-knit group of leaders that cared about each other and cared about the overall organization as much as the individual organization and bonded together. And so I did a process. I have a process, a system called the High Performance Culture System where you distill down the key levers of your business and the culture driving statements that drive those levers of the business. And then you craft those culture driving statements and you never stop saying them, even if you never get positive feedback. And one of those for me was, and it's not going to sound amazing, and it might have been a word a little bit better back then, but from memory, it was something like multiple executives proactively leading. Whenever I said that, they knew what that meant. That was from a speech that launched it and multiple speeches that incorporated it to every day talking about it every single time I was in front of them. And what it did is subconsciously implanted a culture of everybody caring because I said it nonstop for a long time. Here's the question. Anybody listening on the call, name one thing that you have spoken about the same way nonstop for an entire year. And I've, I've asked this in front of crowds before, and almost nobody raises their hand. And it's because l- leaders often are looking for feedback about the words they choose, especially ones they craft. And if they don't get feedback that's positive, they stop saying it. And what I'm saying is feedback's important in most cases, but when it comes to your culture-driving statements, a lot of times those are going against the norm of behavior to cultivate excellent behavior when no one's looking. And so you're not probably going to get feedback on it. And you have to be the kind of leader that never stops despite not getting feedback. So how might I come up with what these culture driving statements might be? Like I'm imagining either I'm running my business or maybe I have a a team or department that I'm leading and I'm like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. I got to like figure out what culture I'm going to build and then repeat it. So how did you figure out what that culture was and what those statements and what the, that language would be that would turn out to be so powerful? Well, first of all, first step is you got to, what is? You got to think about and brainstorm what is. What are all the goods and bads of your existing culture? And let me define culture for a second. Culture, because sometimes that sounds like 
lofty thing that's hard. It's not tangible. Well, culture is the ethos of the organization. It's the unwritten rules. It's the actual real behavior when no one's looking. It's this social pressure on people in the organization, good or bad, because there's always a culture. Either there's a bad culture or you're driving a good culture. I don't really believe something exists in between. So again, so I wanted to define that. But first, you got to list out what is. And you got to be honest, because a lot of times we talk about things and we believe that's true. But really, when no one's looking, it's not true. So you might have to ask some questions to really find out what is. What is the real behaviors in the organization? Because imagine if you had all the right behaviors. When no one's looking, people are productive. They're making the decisions in the best interest of the company. They're making the best use of their time. They're incredible customer service. They're unbelievably productive in sales. They're having great innovation sessions, thinking purely about how to solve problems for the company in the company's best interest. And they're not looking at the clock and they just care passionately about their job and they're energized and fully engaged in their work. That's what you want. But the truth is over 70% of people are disengaged in their work in America. So it's a big problem. So that's step one. And then the next step is you got to identify what your key levers of the business are. When I say lever, it's like when you pull it as a leader, it has the most positive ripple effects creating high performance. So you really have to think about that. You have to brainstorm it. And then the third thing is now you have to distill it down to the three to five most important levers that if you speak about and influence, they make the biggest difference amongst all the key performance indicators and key areas of the business. And then once you've done those, now you have to think about, and a lot of times it's good to have somebody helping you with this, but you think about now, okay, what is a key statement that embodies me as a leader but also drives that lever, one of those levers of a business that's crafted that I'm going to feel super confident and eloquent speaking about constantly. And you draft one key statement per three to five levers of the business. And then you start saying them nonstop and weaving them in when they're relevant. But daily, you're saying at least a couple of them. Weekly, you're saying all of them many, many, many times. And what's really cool about this is it, I've seen this even in myself and others, is it brings certainty and authority to your leadership in the good ways. Because when you are so certain about what matters, people are unbelievably attracted to that. I mean, this makes so much sense. And this is a lot of what I do with teams of helping them articulate their values and what those behaviors look like in action. And sometimes what comes out of it is almost like jargon keywords or phrases. So I can see how powerful that is, right? So for example, one statement that comes up a lot for a lot of teams is, is this, how might we thinking, right? And when a leader is consistently asking a team, yes, here's the problem, but how might we get around that? How might we still deliver regardless of this problem that arose or the budget not being big enough or being down a team member because somebody, you know, decided to leave, whatever that challenge is, approaching it with a how might mean having that shorthand, having that repeatable statement is is really powerful as you're saying. Oh, that's that's huge. That is huge. And along that statement too is a lot of people, if you're thinking about solving new problems and innovation and things, a lot of people are so caught up in the conditioned thinking of the overall company. And we all have conditioned thinking. It's like, it's, it's a trap almost of 
you know, thinking about new things within the realm of how we do things. And what's really important, there's this another good book. It's called Think Better by Tim Hurston. And there's a particular part of the book that talks about thinking. And he talks about the word Kaizen, which means improvement in Japanese. And a lot of times in business, people will think Kaizen means constant incremental, never-ending improvement, or like the Toyota way, or things like that. Lean manufacturing you know, plays into that. But what he says is, in today's world, what you actually need is Tenkaizen. And if there were a word Tenkaizen in Japanese, it would mean good revolution. And Kaizen is incremental improvement based on what we already have. It's like taking the phone before the iPhone and making it a little bit better. But what Steve Jobs did is he thought in terms of Tenkaizen, good revolution. He suspended what he knows long enough to be able to have new thoughts, completely revolutionary new thoughts about what the phone should be. And then boom, the iPhone came out and it changed the world. And so it may not be as big as the iPhone, but it may be an efficiency process in your company, or it may be a sales process, or it may be the way you run meetings. But you have to suspend suspend your experience and what you know long enough to be able to think anew. And that's hard. Harder than you think. Actually, when you try it in a disciplined fashion and you're honest with yourself, it is incredibly hard. I, I'm imagining that it's incredibly hard. And I'm imagining that it's also just incredibly hard to find the time and the space to do that because we are all so busy between, especially as managers, between running our team and supporting our colleagues and putting out fires and getting through our inboxes, plus all the work that we have to do because most of us are also working managers, right? It's not just that we have to manage people. We also have our own responsibilities and work to get done. That just to find the time and the mental space to do that kind of reflection and that we were talking about originally of what is your culture and what do you want your culture to be and what are the words for that culture and or the time and space mentally to suspend your own experiences and think bigger. I mean, that's got to be hard. It is really hard. And I wasn't able to do it for a long time until I came to grips with I am in control of time. And time is the greatest value. That you have the most valuable thing you have. And so now you have to audit your own schedule. And this comes into all other kinds of effectiveness, but you really have to look at your calendar and schedule and you have to schedule in your 10 Kaizen time. I didn't call it that. I called it my productive thinking time because productive thinking, the Kaizen is reproductive thinking, thinking about what we have and improving it. Productive thinking is 10 Kaizen. And so what I did is I created two hours on my Fridays and it might not be your Fridays, but that was a day that was good for me to do that. I was less distractions on Friday, although I always had way more to do than I felt like I had time for. But you know what? When I knew that I had that two hours on Friday, I worked even more efficiently and productively Monday through Thursday. And it was such a motivating factor to get those two hours. And you know what? Sometimes I would, I would penalize myself. If I kind of blew it during the week and just worked normal and didn't get all my stuff done, at least enough to feel good about the two hours on Friday, I didn't do it on Friday. But it was such an important thing that the next week and many weeks after that, I wouldn't miss it. I would only penalize myself. I only had to do it like here and there to get myself back on track. So you got to be a great coach for yourself. And you know what, frankly, you have to have 
an executive coach. I 100% believe in executive coaching. I 100% believe it's invaluable because we all have blind spots and we all need accountability. I totally agree. As an executive coach, I totally agree that everyone should have one. And even I have one for myself because everyone, as you said, can benefit by having somebody who is outside of you to be that advisor, to be that reflective mirror and just play that role. So I'm totally aligned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, on your LinkedIn profile, I loved what your dad said at, the, you know, I, I don't know, it was the end of every day or the beginning of every day. He said, have a productive day. It must've been the beginning. And I would say that is an unbelievable culture driving statement, carefully crafted by your father. That sounds like it's stuck with you today. So I just thought that was a great example. It does. And actually, it was a really powerful statement and it definitely shaped how I've lived my life. And as a parent, I've thought a lot about what is it that I want to say to my kids. And so I try to tell them when I see them in the mornings, because often I'm out, of, out at the gym and to work before they get up. But when I see them, I tell them, learn something today, because I really want to cultivate in them this idea of being a lifelong learner. And I feel like that for me is the one thing. If they only learn one thing from me as a parent, they're going to learn to be a lifelong learner. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. That's so good. All right. So we're wrapping this up. As you know, the show is called The Modern Manager. It's about being a rock star manager with a thriving team. So can you tell us about one of the incredible managers that you've had the pleasure of working with and what made him or her so great? You know, I would say there's a gentleman named Bruce Goodman, and he's the president of the Western part of Cutco Cutlery. And that was an organization in my formative years, I grew as a leader. And in some of these examples I spoke about today. And the reason I say him is because he was a class act. He always had good things to say, but at the same time, had a sense of humility about him to where everybody just liked the guy. And when there was challenging situations too, he would remain poised, but be willing to speak the truth people needed to hear, even when they didn't want to hear it. And I admire that in people where they can be respected, liked, but also that tough coach when people need it. Oh, that's awesome. Last thing, where can people keep up with you and more about your business, all of that good stuff? Yeah, IsaacTolpin.com. You can find out you know, what I'm up to and so forth. Also, ConveyYour.com, C-O-N-V-E-Y-O-U-R.com. And that's our microlearning platform. Awesome. And all of those links will be in the show notes for anyone who wants to follow up. Thank you so much, Isaac. This was great. I feel like we could have kept going on and on forever. Oh, absolutely. This was super fun. Thank you. What a fun conversation that was. Now, if you want to learn more about building a high-performance culture, Isaac has offered his course on this topic to members of the Modern Manager community. You can get access when you join at patreon.com slash modernmanager. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Modern Manager. And when you join, you also get access to all of the prior guest offers and the full episode guides. All these links are in the show notes. And if you want them in your inbox, you can subscribe to my newsletter at mamieks.com slash subscribe. That's it for today. Or maybe I should say, have a productive day. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com 
That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team. I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.